It's worth noting, some of you may have read in your bulletin, but much of our inspiration for this journey in Lent has come from a sanctified art, an organization of women seeking to uh, bring God more fully into our lives through art and through poetry and through scripture and through song. And so we are grateful for their leadership and the ways that they are leading us even from afar. Much inspiration today in liturgy and in the proclamation of the word has come from the Reverend Shannon Kirshner. It is, it is a joy to know that no matter where we are and what we are doing, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And so even as we sit in this sanctuary today, we are reminded in the wilderness that surrounds us, in the people whose voices are in here without them even being present, that we are God's and all of us belong to God in this family of faith that we know. Friends, our gospel reading today comes from the gospel according to John, the third chapter beginning with the first verse. Listen for the word of God. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. And Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. And Nicodemus said to him, Well, how can anyone be born after having grown old? Can anyone enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I had told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Friends, this is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray together again. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us this day. Spirit of the wilderness, spirit of the wind, spirit of all the things that remain a mystery, 
Fill us this day. Mold us and make us more fully into your people. And to that end, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Has there ever been a question you've been too embarrassed to ask or too scared to ask? Some years ago, my parents had an infamous seminary professor who was known for scaring the living daylights out of all of his students. His name was John Leith. He taught Intro to Theology at Union Seminary in Richmond, Virginia. And Dr. Leith would begin by making very clear that no one was permitted to ask any questions in the first two weeks, period. Because as Dr. Leith explained to his students, you don't know enough yet to ask intelligent questions. But if anyone should have been permitted to ask a question of Dr. Leith in Theology 101, it was Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, you see, a teacher, a leader of the Jews, a leader in Jewish community. He also sat on the Sanhedrin Council, which meant that he was one of the highest ranking officials in legal and religious life. In order to serve on this council at all, Nicodemus would have had to be, he would have been knowledgeable on subjects ranging from religion to science and medicine. He would have been fluent in many different languages. In his role as a Pharisee, he would have known scripture inside and out. He instructed others how to understand scripture, how to interpret scripture. He was a pillar of faith in the community. He was the type to be in church every single Sunday. He was wealthy. He was well-educated. He was prominent in society. If anyone should have been comfortable asking a question of this stranger Jesus in the light of day, it was Nicodemus. And especially because the Pharisees would not have been at all comfortable with a stranger speaking with such authority on religious matters. As far as the Pharisees were concerned, they were in charge and this stranger needed to be put in his place. So let's ask him a few questions that he can't answer. Let's deal with this. Let's move him along. Let's get back to business as usual. But unlike his colleagues, the questions Nicodemus was supposed to ask, the questions he was expected to ask of this stranger, they weren't coming naturally the way they typically did in such circumstance. Unlike his colleagues, Nicodemus was not skeptical and critical of the stranger from Nazareth. Nicodemus was absolutely fascinated with him. And it scared him to death. He knew that if anything came out of his mouth in front of this miracle man, it would not be the criticism and the strict line of questioning that was expected of him, but it would instead it would be something that would likely have all of his friends and colleagues in an uproar, or at least bursting into laughter. And so whether it was out of embarrassment or fear, we don't meet Nicodemus in the light of day. 
We meet Nicodemus after everyone else has gone to bed. And I can imagine Nicodemus felt like his entire reputation was hanging in the balance over this one. His colleagues wouldn't understand. They would laugh. They would jeer. They'd all heard about Jesus turning water into wine at the wedding in Cana, but most of his colleagues considered it fake news. But there were too many other reports of miracles, too many witnesses to dismiss the reports about the tables that had been overturned outside the temple. Apparently Jesus had lost his temper and started screaming about his father's house or something like that. But regardless, all of Nicodemus' colleagues, they'd all been talking about Jesus for one reason or another. And not in flattering terms. So Nicodemus knew that if anyone saw him going to visit Jesus, going to talk to him face to face, he too was going to be the subject of much discussion and much disapproval. Maybe, maybe I shouldn't even go, he thought as he paced in his home for the thousandth time. This is, this is not going to end well. What am I doing? This is, this is crazy. But try as he might, Nicodemus could not resist this pull. He felt drawn to Jesus. And as soon as night fell, he quickly hurried down the road. He knocked on the door and he immediately regretted doing so, but the door opened far more swiftly than he expected. He didn't have time to change his mind. It was almost as if Jesus was expecting him. Jesus welcomed him in. Nicodemus went through his head again, what am I doing? This is crazy. He struggled to find the words that he needed to say, growing more and more embarrassed with each passing moment. And finally, the, world, the words just tumbled out like toothpaste that couldn't be shoved back in the tube. Rabbi, we, we, know, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. No, no one can do these signs that you do. No one can do them apart from the presence of God. We know that you have come from God. I know. I know that you have come from God. I have done the math. I have calculated the possible conclusions. I have stayed up at night writing essays in my head, attempting to prove that you are not who I think you are. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, there is no other conclusion to make. And so I know who you are. I know that you have come from God. And I don't know what I'm doing here, but I just can't sleep until I say all of this out loud. And then they stood in silence for a minute. I imagine Nicodemus didn't know what to do with the silence. His colleagues always had quick responses, sharp responses, ready responses. He wasn't used to the silence. It was terrifying. And so in his head, he began to think about all the possible things Jesus might say in response, all the logical, rational explanations that Jesus might offer. And so while he waited in that awkward silence, Nicodemus just began to plot the next phase of questioning, the next three points he wanted to make, the next three questions that he would ask once Jesus assured him that he was on the right track. And finally, well, Finally, if all that went well, and only because they were alone, only, let me make very clear, only because they were alone, 
Then Nicodemus was prepared to unveil the real questions that he carried. The questions that perhaps some of us carry in here on Sunday mornings. One of many questions we ask in the dark of night when no one else is around to mock or to laugh. Is there something more? Am I, am I missing something? Is there anything more in this life? Because, because no matter how many ways I try to be pious or how many, how many books I read on religion, I, I, I still feel like I'm missing a piece of this puzzle. No matter how many social engagements I enjoy or how many friends I have, I, I still feel suffocated by a loneliness that I, can't, that, I, that I can't get away from. No matter how much, how much money I make or how many homes I own or how well respected I am in the community or in the church, there is this yearning within me that nothing in this world seems to be able to quench. I know, I know by the world's standards I have made it. I know that I have the equivalent of the white picket fence and the 2.5 kids and the great job and the loving family, but why do I feel so empty? Why is so much never enough? Nicodemus longed for something new something he hadn't found yet, something outside the controlled box that he'd built to contain his life. He longed for a depth in his soul that he could not name. That's what Nicodemus actually wanted to talk to Jesus about that night. But first, he had to take care of these doubts and these fears. But instead of assuaging Nicodemus' doubt and fears, Jesus took a hard left turn into something that Nicodemus hadn't prepared for at all. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus responded, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus had planned for a wide range of responses, but this was not one of them, and so trying to recalibrate, to recalculate his brain, Nicodemus took Jesus at his literal word, floundering for explanation. How, how can anyone be born after growing old? Can one enter a second time into his mother's womb? Like a child at his first t-ball game who's told, keep your eye on the ball, son, and then moves closer so his eye can literally be right next to the ball. Nicodemus is grasping at straws. I can imagine a wry smile or a chuckle from Jesus. He didn't seem frustrated by Nicodemus and his literalism. Instead, he went on. He went on to talk about water and spirit and flesh and spirit and wind as if he enjoyed adding even more mystery to the already confused mind of his friend. Oh, Nicodemus, he thought, if only you could hold it all a little more loosely. If only you could imagine a world where you didn't have to be so certain. 
a world where you didn't have to be so in control and so shackled by your fear of mystery. If only you could imagine a world where your worth was not defined by the money in the bank or the title in front of your name or how much you think you know about how the holy works. I don't think Nicodemus was used to lifting his eyes to any hills. I don't think he was used to opening his grip, to opening his heart to anything at all, much less a man of God. Nicodemus was used to relying on his head, not his heart. He knew the scripture inside and out in multiple languages. He could parse verbs. He could explain the origin of the law. He could explain to you all the rules about cleanliness and kosher eating, but he couldn't tell you what it felt like to be swept up in the Spirit of God. To be still and worship and know that God was near. He couldn't tell you what it felt like to trust his heart over his head or to rest in the assurance that he didn't need to earn or achieve or buy his salvation. He couldn't tell you what it felt like to see the face of God in another human being. He couldn't tell you what it was like to see new birth, radical, unexplainable new birth in people or in places or in relationships that no one ever imagined were possible. If only you could imagine that, G that God was in all of it, Jesus longed. If only you could see that God is so in love with this world that God has sent me down here to be with you. So even if you don't believe it with your own eyes, maybe you will believe it with mine. Maybe you will believe me. There was no recipe. There was no mathematic formula. There was no scientific explanation for this new birth that Jesus described. And Nicodemus felt utterly lost in the mystery and the wilderness of this not knowing. He wanted answers. He wanted certainty. He wanted assurances and something tangible that he could touch and hold on to. And I found myself thinking about all the times that I have been awake at night, yearning for the same. Perhaps you can relate. For so often it is only in the dark that the questions come, the questions we're too afraid to ask in the light of day. Questions that have us yearning for answers and certainty and assurances and something tangible to hold on to. Why is this happening? Why did this happen? Will the treatment work? What assurances do I have that we are doing enough here? Shouldn't there be something more? something more in this life why do I feel so alone why do I feel so empty God give me something to hold on to 
something that I can touch, something that real that I can place my assurance and my hope in. God, give me something real. Nicodemus didn't like this wilderness wandering because it involved any mystery and uncertainty. If it involved any encounters with the divine that he couldn't define or explain or control. I know that feeling. I imagine you do too. But Jesus wanted Nicodemus to know the spirit that could and would come without invitation and without any warning. Jesus wanted Nicodemus to feel the mystery of a spirit who, as we know, as we have experienced, as a family of faith, can bring light even into the deepest depths of human darkness. A spirit who can fill a sanctuary like ours with beauty and with tenderness as we listen to the proclamation and song of our young people. A spirit who flows freely and rapidly through our food center and our clothing center each week, clothing and feeding the people of God. A spirit who flows in and out of Head Start classrooms and youth group gatherings and choir practice and AA meetings reminding children of God that they are not alone in this world. That new birth can come when we least expect it. Jesus wanted Nicodemus to know a spirit he could not possibly control or explain. She is the only one who will set you free, Jesus whispered. For whatever reason, Nicodemus could not bring himself to see things through different eyes that night. It makes sense. He had a reputation to uphold, a status to maintain, a world that needed to be kept decent and in order. But a while later, a while later after Jesus had been crucified, Nicodemus decided to go with Joseph of Arimathea, also a member of the Sanhedrin, to help prepare Jesus' body for burial. It was not the wisest thing to do in the light of day. After all, the air was so thick with threat that most of Jesus' disciples had already fled. But Nicodemus took the risk anyway. And a couple of days later, at that morning meeting of the Sanhedrin Council, the air became heavy again with conversation about this Jesus. Nicodemus kept his eyes down, but he listened attentively. And when he heard that some of the disciples had reported seeing Jesus alive after his body had been placed and sealed in that tomb, 
Well, as Fred Beekner writes, that dear Nicodemus became so flustered that all he knew to do was excuse himself and lock himself in a bathroom stall and weep tears of fear and joy like a newborn babe. Because in that moment of mystery, it was the Spirit's doing. And this time he knew it for certain. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.